Had a young man, 95 years young this morning, accept Christ last night and was baptized today. He's, amen, give him a hand. So he gained an assurance that a lot of people don't have. He knows the end of his road leads to heaven and Christ welcoming him. And whether you're online this morning or, or sitting here, if you don't have an absolute positive for sure that you know that by the grace of God and not by works, that God's Spirit called you, you responded, and you know Christ, that's the most important decision you'll ever make. In fact, Larry, last night, in 95 years, that was the most important decision he ever made. I also want you to look, if you are in a relationship with Christ, how are you serving God? A lot of times people think we as pastors are just trying to get people to get stuff done. We need something, so we say, would you serve? But in reality, we were created by God to serve. And we serve God by serving each other. That's how we're served. Each person is given a gift by the Holy Spirit. When they come into that relationship. We're going to explore some of that. But that gift is given for you for the body of Christ. As we serve each other, it's an indication to the world. Look at those people. They're not living an isolated life. They care about people. They care about each other. And so if you're not in a serving spot... I want you to be praying this morning while I preach. God, what have I been missing out on? What do you want me to do? Now, I understand this. As we age in life, our gifts may take a swing. But one of the greatest gifts given and one of the biggest commands given is prayer. As I've traveled, I have a circle of people who pray for me. Before I get on that airplane and after I get off. And I know they're praying for me. I've been in situations where I've just, instead of fear, I just had a sense, hey, this is going to be okay. I got people praying. It's a great ministry. It's a great way of service. It's a great way of communicating with God. And so I want you to think about how you're serving. Are you giving sacrificially? You see, you're giving it measures your faith and trust in God. It measures my faith and trust. Am I entrusting back to him what he's freely given to me? As you serve and as you give, you're going to be able to, you're going to be growing in this presence and this relationship with God. It's amazing. You, you begin to walk and in every breath you're talking to God. Because you know he's a giver of life and sustainer of life. Check those things out. Praying, giving, serving. These, these are what we are called to do in the body of Christ. So you be thinking about that indication. And if you're looking for a place to serve, if you will contact me, I can help you. And I, I guarantee you. 
The problem in the church we have today is this. We've become the Dead Sea. Everything flowing in, nothing flowing out. I don't know how many of us had the privilege to go to the Dead Sea. I've been there several times. And one thing about swimming in the, in the Dead Sea is you don't have to know how to swim. You can't drown. It, it's hard to, to, I mean, just flop back and you just go with the waves. And you see there's nothing flowing out of that sea. That's why it's dead. And when you see defeated, depressed Christians in this world, it's because they have become a recipient of God's grace, a recipient of his blessing, and it's just sitting and going nowhere. And when you sit, you sour. That's the invitation. How many of you have heard of the doomsday clock? Isn't that a great segue? (laughs) Well, I've heard about it all my life, and I've seen them. uh, And I did some little research. It started in 1947, and they set that clock at seven minutes to midnight. Midnight being the time that these scientists and these technical people have said that as that clock moves closer to midnight, the closer we are to a, uh, a catastrophe, a nuclear arrest, and now they've thrown in climate change. So the clock has been set backwards eight times and forward 16 times. And since 2020, we have been 100 seconds to midnight. That's something that man has come up with. Undoubtedly, they've not read the book of Revelation. God started it and God will end it. In fact, when we, when we get our message today, the section that we're, we're looking at in 1 Peter, 1 Peter begins it with this message. He's got his own word. Peter begins this section with a warning, okay? Here's the warning. The end of all things is near, all right? It has been near since the time Christ ascended into the heavens. However, as time has gone on, we consider it getting nearer and nearer. And though the only clock that matters is the one that God has, we are closer now to the coming back of Christ. Don't worry about the nuclear and the climate change and everything. You know, it seems like we've gone into the fear mode to control people's lives in order to to control what they do think and how they act. And the wonderful part of a relationship with Christ is he breaks all those bonds. We don't fear anybody but the Lord God. And that itself is beginning of wisdom. He said, therefore, because all things are near, being clear-minded... Be self-controlled so that you can pray. Have you ever tried to pray when you got all this junk in your head? You're worrying about stuff. You know that uh, you've, you've kind of walked off from God a little bit and you're, you're trying to word it. Listen, there is a freedom when you walk before God with clean hands and a pure heart. And that the way that you do that is very simply... You continue to pray. As the Spirit points out a problem, a defect, a sin in your life, you go to the Lord and say, I don't want it there. Lord, will you forgive and cleanse me? And First John tells us he's faithful 
And he's righteous. And he'll cleanse us of all of our sins. About over 800 years earlier, there was a guy named Isaiah. And this is what Isaiah said. The Lord Almighty has a day. I, I love the way they put that. The doomsday clock is set up, but they don't know what the day is. But the Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty. Okay? And that can be you and I if we don't watch out for ourselves. For all that existed, exalted, and they will be humbled. For all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all of the oaks of Bashan. These were the things that the nation of Israel looked to as a permanence. They were huge trees. And, and they're high and they're lofty. And all the towering mountains and all the high hills. And for every lofted tower and every fortified wall. And every trading ship and every stately vessel. The arrogance of man will be brought low and the pride of men humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Do you get that? God is coming against, even today before he returns, the proud, the lofty that set themselves up in a place that they think they're looking down on folks. Our service life is eyeball to eyeball because we all work a level term in this work. Peter goes on and warns us in 1 Peter 4, verse 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to come with the family of God. It's time it begins there. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of Christ? We are being as believers in a relationship with Christ. Our judgment is here. Okay? We'll stand before God and give an account of the giftedness that he's given us and the life and how we've used that in the end of time. But God makes judgment upon us in order to correct our behavior. And that correction of the behavior is simply to put you back on the way of life. And it says if God will even put judgment on his children, his family, what is the outcome of those who do not obey God? The answer to that is simple. Depart from me, I never knew you. That's the importance. It's a day that said will come in a twinkling of an eye. We, we will, it, it's just going to be, and it's here. And so the time of preparation to meet God is now and in this life. In the middle section, Peter warns us in this in verses 8 through 11. Above all, those means above everything else, everything else. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Theologians already don't know, does that mean the love of God covers sin? The love of man covers sins? Nobody really knows. But what that means, it does not excuse sin. But when you love people, you love them in spite of who they are, simply because God loves you in spite of who you are. 
And you see, that's a two-way street. And so what that means, it will keep malice. It'll keep bitterness. It'll keep unforgiveness out of your heart when you love that person, when you realize, but for the grace of God, there I would go. He mentioned the word self-control. That means being in control of your actions and being in control of your feelings. You do control those. So many times we want to blame somebody for something. Uh -uh. We are to be in control of our actions, in control of our feelings. Secondly, we're to be rational and sensible. Now that has nothing to do with an education level. Okay? You don't have to have a PhD in order to do this. What you have need and have to have is a life that surrendered to Christ and under his direction. Peter places an emphasis in two things. Of all the things that he could talk to us about, because the day of the Lord is coming, he talks to us about our spiritual gifts and our love. Spiritual gifts. Do you realize Many people argue for nearly 50 years. People have argued with me. God didn't give me a spiritual gift. Yes, he did. Every person, when they come to Christ, is filled with the Spirit and anointed with a gift that is to be used within the body of Christ. We're equipped for the service that we are going to spend our life serving other people. He equips us for it. He also gives us the strength and the power to conform it. So many times I hear people say, I'm just so tired of doing this over and over. Listen, whose strength are you working in? Are you trying to muster up the strength? Are you simply using the equipping, the strength, the power, the foresight that God will give you? Listen, Here is the believer's response to the gifts God uses them. In Romans 12, 6, it says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given, four words, let us do them. Our response to God's giftingness is do them. He removes obstacles. He changes attitudes. He directs you in the path in whatever gift God has given you. Our other another response is we're to be content with our gift. I know people say, I've got this gift, but I want that gift over there. And they'll go over there where they're not gifted and work. And pretty soon they burn out, quit, and left the church because that's not their giftedness. They're trying to do things. Listen, as I got older, I learned something very wonderful. As a young man, there was nothing too heavy for me to pick up. I'd just grab it, muscle it, and do it. I'm at the age now that when we moved, I just stood there like that and said, y'all take that and put it over there. And when they, I got hot and sweaty, I took them a bottle of water because I knew they were tired. You see, we just got to understand if we work and serve in the level where God has gifted, and not only gifted, provided a place, then you're, you're going to be faithful with your gift. You're going to perfect that gift that God has given you. Why? Do you realize in, in, in using your gift in serving in whatever area, 
That is your gift to God. You're saying, thank you, God. You gave me this opportunity to know people, to get in, be involved in their life, to encourage them. And I, I, that's my praise to you. I thank you for that. That's the way we need to look at our giving. God is a provider. Listen, I've heard people talk about being a self-made man. And I told them, I sure wish I was there when you made yourself. Because we don't live in a world of luck. Okay? Forget the word. We, we live enjoying the doors that we may never see with these physical eyes opened by Almighty God. And that therein lays the area of success and the bounty in which we live in the United States. Well, our offering back to him is simply saying, God, this is yours. I'm returning it to the owner. I'll tell you what, there's a person in this room that if they walked in the parking lot, saw a wallet, would pick the wallet up, come back in here and say, I found this in the pocket in the parking lot. It's not mine. I, I want you to find its owner. And folks, that's exactly the way our giving is. That ownership is God himself. We are simply stewards. Paul also stresses God's sovereignty in giving gifts. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 4 says this. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to... Can you see that word? What is it? His, according to his will. Romans eleven twenty nine. Paul comes back and says, For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Don't, you can't give them back. You may let it spoil in your life and spoil you, but you can never give back the gift God has given you any more than you can give back the salvation that Christ won for you as he bore our sins on the cross. We don't choose our gifts and we don't try to serve somewhere where we're not gifted. Why? We would simply burn out, turn off, and walk away. The gifts, they're the same, but they're different. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, given the manifestation of the spirit, is given for the common good. That's why you have received a gift. It's for the common good. Again, people that refuse to serve, to to use the talents, the ability, the giftedness, even the personality that God has developed through you, your life is spoiled. Show me a sullen Christian, one that is not happy, one that continually lives in the world of negativity, and I'll show you a person who is refusing to simply use the great gift that God has given you. And basically, you are sullying the joy of your salvation. 
Listen, it is a joyful thing. Once a month, our staff lines up out there with tables. And we pack beans and rice. Beans and rice. Beans and rice. Bag after bag after bag. And all I can think about while we're packing that is somebody's going to get a meal that they may not have had. And there's joy in that sweat and getting the bean dust all over you. And I mean, it, it's great. And we're all out there working. Many hands make simple work. And that's what happens. That's the joy of serving God. Listen, there is diversity in the body, but there's diversity in the church. Give me that verse. The body is a unit. Now, here's what Paul's talking about. This body is a unit. Your body is a unit. You're probably like me. Some of your unit's not working like it should. But we're a unit. Though, though it is made up of many parts. They should put many, many parts. Study the anatomy. How just everything just works together. And though all of its parts are many, they form one body So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by the one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we are given one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. All parts working together. If our part, my parts, work the same when I was 18 as they work right now, I'd have a different outlook in life, do a lot of different things. But I didn't lose. I mean, I am still a unit. The other unit that he is comparing it to is the body of Christ. Listen, we are, you just, you don't go to Tomoka. You are Tomoka. You're the body of Christ everywhere you travel. The body of Christ. You are that unit. Every person is different. Listen, on my hand, I have two sets of fingers, two sets of toes, and two ears. And all of those are different. This finger kind of goes this way, and this one on this hand goes that way. They're different, but they function together. Listen, when I talk about serving... When I talk about giving, the work you do and service in one area, someone else will do the same service in another area and you'll get different results. But it's all one gift. It's for the body of Christ to nourish it, to strengthen it, to move forward, to see other people. I was visiting a church one time and and the pastor after my second visit uh, all the people said, we're family here. We're family here. And the pastor said, I love my church. We're family here. We went and had coffee about a week later. And he told me that. Pastor. I said, let me ask you something. From what I saw, you're a family real good, but you're a family that does not adopt. And he looked at me kind of strange. I said, I looked at your family and I didn't really think I could fit in there. Because it seems like you've got all you want and you're satisfied. The body of Christ continually is to welcome the adoption of new people, new folks, to join the body, to make it stronger, to make it healthier, to glorify God more. You see, 
you and I were adopted into the family of God. You see, you're in partnership with Tomoka. You are Tomoka. And when you have that opportunity to see that new church birth, and you may ride down there and go to a service and you see the joy of new faces, you're gonna, you're just gonna say, that's my baby. Thank God and may that body grow. Paul does give a warning though in chapter uh, 12 verse 31. It reads wrong. It's not a good translation. This says, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. Those were the showy gifts. When you look at this in the original language, it says, you eagerly desire the greater gifts. You don't want to take out a trash can. You want to be on the platform. Now, I'm going to show you a most excellent way. And that way is the way of love. Paul is saying, let me show you a way of contentment in your service, a way of harmony, a way of joy, and that is love. 1 Timothy 1.5 says this, the goal of this command, and the command was to love everyone. The, the, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Have you ever known somebody that just said they loved you to death and somehow you didn't think so? And if they were very honest with you, they'd probably say, I love it when I don't see you and I love it when I'm not around you. That's not having a good conscience and a clear mind. It's just saying, I love you. I love you because God loved me. And that's the greatest, that is the greatest incentive for loving people. God Loved me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we find the definition of love. Let's look at that. Love is patient. That's a hard one, isn't it? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Do you see the word always in there? Love is not hot or cold. My wife's not here, so I'm going to tell this story. When we got married, we were married a week and moved to Leesburg. And we rode out, and there was a poodle farm. And my wife wanted a poodle. So we got one of those little toy poodles, which is very small. And we got him on a Friday. And, and we, being young marriage, we go to football, high school football games on Friday night. And it was chilly. I had my brand-new trench coat on. I was looking good. And we carried that puppy to the, to the football game. And I had it all bundled up in my lap. And somewhere around the third quarter, I got a wet, warm feeling. <laughs> and it was not love. There will be an emotion in love. But that's not the basis of it. 
marriages are going to hell in a handbasket today because I have fallen out of love. You didn't fall in love, so you can't fall out of something you have not fallen into. You began to love someone, and that love doesn't go away during the chilly winters of, 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 of winter. It doesn't go through, away through the heat of the summers. It doesn't, it is refreshed and renewed daily because you have made a covenant with God. That's how we love other people. Not because what they can do for you, not for what they can give you, but because you're looking at a creator who created that person in God's image. If we would just realize the sins we commit against people is against God himself because we're committing sins against the image of God. Love that he's talking about here is agape love. That is a God love. That's, that's the love that God loved us with. And it's the love that he's given to us not to sit and sour in it, but you take that love and you love other people. That's, we love God with that agape love. We love each other with that. It is a God-given love. It goes beyond friendship. It goes beyond brotherhood. It is a kinship in the family, the body of Christ. It is an unconditional, sacrificial love. And, and I'll be honest, there's sometimes I have to really sacrifice to love people. And the flip side of that is I realize they have to sacrifice and love me. It balances out and it's called obedience to God. And if you are talking about being weak in your faith, I can tell you why. You're not stretching it. You're not exercising it. Exercising obedience. Exercising your gift. Exercising your giving. Grows you into the Lord to the point that you realize that we dwell not only in the shadow of his hand, but we are in his hand. Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five, he had commanded his disciples to love God, with all their heart, mind, soul, and spirit. He had reminded them to love your neighbor. And then he said this, By this, the world will know your mind. There was a song in the 60s, What the world needs now is love. It's a purified agape love that can only stem from God. Remember the invitation? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Do you have that eternal life this morning? That if your time came to leave this world, or Christ appeared in the eastern sky, that you know you would meet him? I'm going to be standing over here I'm going to be walking around after the message. Please come see me. For those of you believers in Christ, are you using your gift to serve God by serving people and serving in this body that has come together?
Have you? Why not? If you have a good reason, tell it to God. But he told me that every gift that he's given, he's given it for his glory and his praise. So as Paul said, let's use it. Father, thank you for the greatest gift, our salvation. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Father, today, stir hearts, open eyes, draw them to you. In Jesus' name, amen.